All right, welcome to the Mentis podcast. Today we have Josh Straup with the Iron Valley Companies, and in particular today we're going to be talking about Iron Valley Modular and all of the different uh, cutting edge things you guys are doing in the modular construction world. Josh, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. So before we just got started here, you were telling me a little bit about the history of modular construction. Why don't we just start with, you know, where do we where do we start and, and where are we going? And kind of just, you know, kind of give us a, a quick understanding of the modular industry. Why, why should we care? That's a great question. Uh, really, if you want to get into the history of modular construction, I, I would say the first examples of what we would consider modular construction um, went as far back as really the early 1900s, you know, when, when companies like Sears and Roebuck would actually sell homeowners pre-cut lumber with plans. You know, you just, you go and you basically buy a house. It's already pre-cut. You take the parts home, put it together. Um, and there you go. You have, you have your cabin, you have your house. Um, that was really sort of the first examples of, of what we would consider sort of modular construction in the sense that portions of the house were already pre-planned and pre-cut. They just need to be assembled. As we know, the, the sort of the modern version of modular construction really took off in the 70s. And back then, um, it was it was actually uh, administered and managed by HUD, not the, the building codes that manage all the same constructions of single family homes today. And um, for, for a few decades, um, modular actually sort of developed um, sort of kind of a stigma. Um, the industry ran into some problems because it was managed by HUD and not the same, it didn't adhere to the same building codes as all, all the other houses. There was a drop off in quality. Uh, there, there were some issues there. So when um, you're saying the stigma, we're talking the, what, what some people would consider just like a trailer is kind of what I think some people your, consider. Your, grand, your grandparents' modular home was right. much more akin to a trailer or double wide than it was a traditional single family home like it is today. You right, know, and for some reason, even though those are still, I know there's, I mean, they're probably a little bit cheaper. They're still, you know, a, a good option for a lot of families out there. They're but absolutely good, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah I, I'm, I think I'm you're not, right. The stigma is kind of going away. It is, that, that is not to take away from, you know, anyone who invests in manufactured housing or, or double wides or anything. Um, they, they have their place within anyone's investment strategy no issues that's over simply pointing out that back then modular homes followed the same rules and guidelines as any company building a true manufactured house a, a double wider trailer so when you compare that in terms of just the quality of the build how that how well they hold up there was a drop off when you compare them to this to the uh, site built traditional sing, single family homes fast forward 20 years that's just not an issue anymore. And because of that, the newer generation of home buyer has no opinion, positive or negative, about modular construction, you know, because the homes are today are now indistinguishable from a home built on site. In fact, if you were to look at any one of our listings from previous projects, nowhere in our listing do we ever say the house is modular because we don't have to. In terms of how a house is appraised and how it's valued, there is no delineation between a modular home. Or, um, sorry, I hate not a modular home, a home built using the modular construction method, I think is a better description versus a house built on site using the traditional method. Once that once our home, 
Yeah, go ahead. Let's unpack that just a second, because I think what most people don't understand here is when, when they're thinking modular, they're thinking you are literally just maybe dropping off that trailer. Um, but maybe, maybe give us the clear definition of what, what a modular home looks like today. Are you delivering right. a completely finished like living room and a separate kitchen and you're kind of like piecing them together? Or are you doing more like a panelized approach? You know, what's the, what is modular and, and what does that mean today? Thank you for asking. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. So in our world, there is no such thing as a modular home. All, we are building homes using the modular construction method. And what that means is we are, use, we are leveraging some of the same tenants and some of the same efficiencies associated with manufacturing, and we're applying them to construction. Assembly line process, interchangeable parts, increased, increased efficiency, shorted, shorter construction times. We found a way to take, the, take all the same uh, factors that make manufacturing companies so successful, and now we apply it to a construction project. We apply it to how we build homes. So when a home is, is constructed by, by our company, it's a finished uh, permanent structure. There is, there is no difference between a home that we built in our facility and a home built on site. Um, there are, to your point, you, you mentioned panelized um, modular construction. So um, there are certain different types of modular building, and there are companies that, that specialize in, in what's considered panelized modular, where they kind of build uh, different sort of pieces of the house, sections of the house, then they, then they put it together um, on site. Uh, what we do is a little bit different. We are building entire chunks, entire sections of a house and then stacking them together like Legos. Um, so when, when we're delivering our, our uh, modular home, the kitchen is done inside, the home comes plumbed, it comes wired, you know, there are toilets installed, there's flooring installed throughout different uh, areas of the house. The home comes 95% complete right out of our facility. When we walk away from the project, the only work that really has to be done is just sort of very, very small finishing work done inside the house. You know, maybe there some drywall sheets have to be delivered loose because the city inspector wants to see inside the walls to see how you did your wiring, how you did your plumbing. So certain things like that have to be done post-delivery, but it is our goal to deliver you as complete of a house as we possibly can so that you have next to no work to do after our, after our uh, part is played out, after our part is done. So give me, give me the vision of what's happening. You guys coming off the end of the, the factory line, you guys are picking it up and then it's literally just getting placed on the foundation. They're screwing it down and then, you know, maybe just kind of completing the waterproofing or whatever might need to be done. Is that, is that kind of what I'm envisioning correctly? Yes, uh, exactly. So within the state of Pennsylvania, you can haul up to uh, 15 feet, nine inches wide on the back of a tractor trailer. So when we're, when we're shipping to different states, we're basically limited. Our, our, the width of our modules are limited to whichever state has the, the most conservative or the most stringent right. transportation laws. So in yeah, Pennsylvania- so you're, you're really getting into like, I have so many, I, I personally yeah. really love this industry. Uh, I, you're getting to a whole bunch of questions that I have and right off the gate shipping. Doesn't that, isn't that the bottleneck of this industry? I mean, 
Yeah, it is. Isn't that what's caused all of this to slow down and just not maybe move as fast? Like, you know, technology moved you know, we had an iPhone, uh, you know, 10 years ago. And now it's, you couldn't even identify what it, it's just technology moves so much faster. But with construction, it just seems like we're going a little bit slower here. I seem to think that the bottleneck is shipping. Am I wrong on that? You're, you're not wrong. Um, that's an excellent point. Shipping is really the final bottleneck. That is um, really, I would say, I wouldn't even say it holds holds us back as an industry because we are so much less expensive in all the other areas <laughs> that in the aggregate, it still makes sense to do. So what modular. you're doing is getting creative with what, I guess the, the, the part of the shipping is you're now getting creative. And that's where some people would say the panelized is better because we can stack those panels really high on the back of a truck and we can put it together on site or some people say we should only do bathrooms because bathrooms can sit on the back of the truck easier and there's a lot of plumbing in there maybe even kitchens but forget the living rooms forget the uh the dining rooms do that all on site what would you say to all that those are all very good points and i would say that one one approach can make sense depending on the certain circumstances of the project you know if you're if you have to ship uh, a project halfway across the country where your transportation costs would otherwise just become so inflated because of that cost of the project. You could, you could imagine a scenario where panelized modular construction might make sense just for that reason, because you can stack those panels. But if you're shipping, if, you're, if your project is somewhat closer to your facility, then perhaps that doesn't make sense. It, panelized construction wouldn't make sense because there's a trade-off. When you ship panelized, there's actually an increased cost associated with your setup work, with your, with your erection, with your installation work on site, because there's that much work that has to be done putting all the panels together. So there's a trade-off. And it's, it's our job as modular professionals to, to gauge and to sort of judge, all right, based on what we're trying to accomplish, What's the what's the most sensible approach to, to how we're going to build this house? So we we do very little panelized construction in, in our world. Panelized construction doesn't make a lot of sense for us. So therefore, therefore, we we do ship just true modules um, to our job sites and we stack them in place. Um, so how many modules are making up your typical home? It, typically, it's about three to four modules. If we're, if we're thinking about a, a standard 2,000 square foot home, um, usually they're going to be about three to four modules. It will take us about 24 days to build the house in factory, and it'll take us about a day, like maybe 12 hours, to uh, to put it together on site. So we'll bring a crane out to the site. Trucks will bring the modules out to the job site. We'll just pick the modules off the back of the trucks, set the, stack them in place, sit them on top, and and you have your house it's it's there so it's basically not. the site you basically have all your, your site work contractor and your foundations they're done like they're pretty much like yep. you know everything's graded you're pretty much just sitting there with a foundation you show up one day with four trucks pick 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 nail it together you know simplifying things here but pretty much your house is there in one day is that pretty much your house that's that's exactly it so are you doing that, a roof on top of all of those pieces then and then that way a, you're is a seamless it's seamless or are you guys coming with roofing already on roofing actually is already on um and i would say over 90 percent of our projects have the roofing already installed because um what we do and i'm, I'm very very proud is very clever um 
our, our typical or our standard roof system is a gable roof system. So we actually build our roof on hinges mm -hmm. so that when it's being shipped, we can actually level the house, uh, level the roofing of the house. And when it cuts to delivered, we just we can then open the roof up and 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 stabilize everything on site. So uh, we do we do actually bring the have the roofing already installed in factory. Is it, and then when you, I guess, go up, then you just put a ridge cap on top and then you're done. Exactly. That's one of the, okay, so it's just one of those small little items that need to be done. And then I guess siding, is it mostly on or how are you, you know, kind of? Siding, siding is mostly on. Uh, we do ship um, some of the siding loose inside the modules because we don't want the cables from the crane to damage the siding when we're, when we're lifting it up. Um, so some of that siding does have to be attached post-delivery. But again, that's all that's all part of our sort of post-delivery finishing work that has to be done. And usually it's a day or two tops um, worth of work. Very small crew, just a few guys will stay behind and, and finish everything for us. Some to your, you mentioned foundation work and site prep. Yeah, th there are some aspects of, of a construction project that will always have to be done on site. Obviously the, the foundation work and the site prep has to be done on site. So we, we utilize um, very trusted subcontractors um, to do that stuff for us. Folks who understand how we need the foundations to be poured, how we need our footers to be done, all of that. But yes, everything is waiting for us when we bring the modules so we can just seamlessly stack everything in place. Makes a lot of sense. And, you know, really, I, I've got a ton of questions on on the best ways that this is going to kind of evolve. And it gets down if into I could, if I if I could just sort of um, you brought up the bottleneck issue yes. of transportation, which I thought was very uh, interesting. I want to make sure I have a chance to, to touch on that. So currently, really, the transportation and the crane work represent two classes of expense that you're going to have on a modular job where, of course, you may not have on a standard construction project, unless your, your GC is charging you for delivery of materials and everything, but let's assume that's not the case. So you're going to have the transportation cost and your crane cost on a modular job. Now, as it stands today, because the cost of specialized labor is just going up through the roof, it's just skyrocketing. So the cost of construction is skyrocketing. We are in, pretty much every sense of the word by this point, a more sensible, more financially viable way to build by this point, even with the transportation costs, even with the crane cost, we're cheaper in the aggregate. We're more, we're more efficient in the aggregate that it makes sense. However, to your point, as technology continues to evolve and how things continue to improve and become more efficient, we're always looking for ways to make ourselves better and better. So we're, we're, we're talking about, I mean, how can we minimize our transportation costs? One thing the industry is uh, working towards is uh, collapsible and foldable modules. You know, what if we no longer had to have an oversized shipment? What if instead of putting a 15 foot nine, nine inch wide module in the back of a semi truck trailer, what if we could get that, the width of that module down to about eight and a half feet? Once you get down to eight and a half feet, it's no longer an oversized shipment. Your transportation costs plummet. You no longer need to use very expensive diesel tractor trucks. You can haul it with an F-250 in a U-Haul trailer. That is the really where our industry is going to make us even more financially competitive, even more efficient. How can we utilize rail? 
May, perhaps if we can utilize rail, we can expand our geographic footprint. So we can now do projects even further away from home. Because if we can collapse our modules down to eight feet, we can put them in the back of a rail car as well. So we are working on ways to get better and better in an area where we already are better and more competitive than most of our on-site counterparts, most of our um, you know, competition, really, in the, in the traditional site-built space. We are market disruptors. That's, that's what modular construction is. We're a, we're a market disruptor in a, in a field that desperately needs to be shaken up. Well, no doubt there. I mean, the construction industry is is facing all sorts of labor shortages. And, you know, this is no secret that, you know, prices have gone up and, you know, it's it's tough to get people in the trades. And, you know, we definitely need to come up with a better way to build because eventually it's just unaffordable to people to buy a new home. Right. Um, so that makes me think about like how you're going to focus on scaling the company. You know, at first, I, the way that you, you talked, you're talking, I, I figure there's economies of scale to be gained by having a, a massive factory, maybe one or two or three across the country. And you kind of just, uh, you, know, you get your efficiencies down as much as you can. You add robotics to the, to the line as much as possible. And, and, and you, you name it, you just throw it all at that one factory. Then that puts you at a very far um, you know, distance to the majority of the houses that you're building. Or is the play to have smaller, um, kind of easier to pop up factories all over, uh, but maybe with a little bit less efficiencies, but trade off uh, those for the cheaper transportation costs. What, what you're describing is, is these are the conversations that are taking place within our, our, our boardrooms every day. <laughs> you know, this is exactly where, where we want to go. So yes, uh, to all the above, um, there is an economies of scale certainly associated with having larger multiple factories. And that's, that's where, that's where we're going. You know, right now we build um, our homes within a factory in central Pennsylvania employs about 85 of the best people, um, you know, you could ever hope to have work for you. Um, it's where I'm from originally in central Pennsylvania. So, you know, being able to take that and then imagine we find a way to now we're creating a network of facilities. We put we put a second facility in Georgia or North Carolina, similar size. You know, you employ about a hundred people. Um, that allows you to to uh, output. I would say at full capacity about a thousand modules per year. Now, let's say instead of building a single family home or building a small apartment complex, we now have the ability to build a much larger apartment building. We can now build a 20, 30 story apartment building. But now we, we have, you know, a portion of the project built by facility A, a portion of the project built by facility B. Everybody has a part to play. Everybody knows where these modules are going when they're being built in the facility. And now we're, we're having a, a network of sister facilities sharing the work so that we can tackle larger projects than we ever thought possible. And that's, that's really where, where we want to be going here in the next five to 10 years. It kind of surprised me there with that answer, actually. I thought you were going to say that the, the cost would be cheaper on homes, but then you, you brought it into the apartment world, which is that you know, you're bringing it into our world. It, and obviously construction is very different in the apartment space. And especially if you go high rise, I mean, even if you just go mid rise, you're not talking concrete and fireproofing um, is probably required at least on a couple floors. Uh, and then I would assume that your modular is now switching into a metal um, 
you know, exactly. probably metal built. And that's a totally different, um, you know, a totally different part of the construction industry. And maybe, maybe I just had a different uh, assumption here that might be incorrect, but isn't there going to be modular companies for the commercial space and modular companies for the residential and that, you know, it's kind of going to be one or the other? When you do set up a modular facility, you do have to kind of have your your uh, your primary medium of construction, your primary material kind of already pre-planned. You can't really build um, wood frame houses and structural steel apartment buildings on the same line. That just really doesn't work. So you are right about that. But that doesn't mean that the same company can't do both. Oh, no. And that's, yeah, I suppose. That's really, I guess that's what I meant by the factors, though, is you know, if you set up these multiple factories, you're likely going to be a factory for single family housing or Correct. potentially some, you know, garden style or uh, three story apartments. Even then, I, I wonder if uh, it would be more difficult. I guess the question I have for you on that is how, how easy can these like um, uh, designs change? How, how dynamic can you be with what you're, what you're producing? Or does a customer kind of just get what you you already have. You know. That's a that, that's a great question. So, one thing that I'm very proud of, one thing that does set our company apart from most others, is that we are a custom design build GC. Even though we are in the modular world, we are not beholden to a, a catalog or a menu of pre-designed homes or apartment complexes. We work with architects all the time. Um, we, we have a great in-house design team that, uh, I mean, if you, if you're a homeowner, you're a home buyer and you have a, a dream home in mind and perhaps whether it's affordability issues or just not being able to find the right, the right home that currently listed that really resonates with you. Uh, we have home buyers come to us all the time with sort of, you know, sketches and drawings of their dream house. And we find a way to build that house using the modular method. That is one thing that really sets us apart from most modular builders is that you don't just have to choose what we post online. We have the ability to make custom housing as well. And the same would go at, at for- a, At an increased price compared to your you know, ABC options. Typically, yes. Typically, okay. yes. Um, our pricing is just like any other contractor. We look at, all right, what do you want to put into this house? Um, you know, obviously finishes and fixtures and everything can really drive up pricing in a house. So it depends on right, what level of fixtures or finishes do you want to have? Um, all of those things impact the pricing, but just like any other contractor, we look at, all right, what's it going to be? What's our cost to us going to be to build this project? And what do we think we need to charge so that we can do it profitably? And obviously too, knowing that our competition or all the other home builders building things on site Naturally, we need to be we're, we need to be positioning ourselves in terms of our pricing. We need to be positioning ourselves at a place where we can win that business, just like any other GC. So you're actually acting as the full GC. So you're doing the. I guess that makes the most sense because if you aren't the GC, the GC, then it's going to be a disconnect between the, the site work, the foundation, and, and right. the, the speed of everything. Uh, so you guys are already okay. So you're acting as the GC, and you're selling, I guess, communities or. or because I, I guess what I was thinking you were doing was selling two GCs and they're building with your modular construction. I, I guess maybe give me an idea of what, what's the approach right now. Uh, we are GCs. So again, if you're a developer or a home buyer and you know what, you just like, hey, you know, what? I, I don't want to deal with it. 
someone just please come and take care of this for me, build us our house. We have the ability to do that. We have the ability to take on that level of work, that level of responsibility that honestly, most GC, most modular builders can't, can't do, or at least they're unwilling to do. I'm not saying that we're the only um, modular builder that acts as a GC. I, I don't know that. I don't think so. But um, we have the ability where most modular builders don't. So we can take that level of responsibility on. Conversely, some of our customers are also general contractors. So they, you know, as you can imagine, they don't want to just remove themselves completely from the equation. You know, they, they will come to us acknowledging that we have the ability to increase their overall efficiency, allowing them to scale up and take on additional projects, whereas perhaps otherwise they'd have to say no to some, some customers because they're just spread too thin. So they can focus on the foundation work, the site prep, the utility work, and then just have us build the modules but they're they're taking care of everything else so we have that level of flexibility to kind of provide solutions to all manner of different customers okay so with the with the gc in place typically you're going to have your local connections you know typically gcs can work in a certain geographical region and they'll know the building inspectors and they'll know probably how to get something through zoning although that's typically the architect's job how are you guys achieving, you know, kind of broad brush acceptance of something that's not necessarily approved by every jurisdiction. Uh, you know, not every building inspector is going to be happy with this uh, maybe coming into their market. And if you're just acting as the GC without some of that local connection, do you have like a whole department who's kind of like educating and trying to get this out? And, you know, that's been a, a big issue with the modular world, especially in the apartment space. Uh, when you're talking about different levels of construction, but I'm just really curious about how how do you you know get that acceptance, especially on the building permit side? Yeah, um, to that end, we absolutely have people who who help us with this. Uh, you mentioned architects. Our architectural partners are very important strategic partners of ours because they are the ones that deal with zoning and deal with licensing and 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 the permitting uh, agencies on a daily basis. So we are very, very careful, very, we, we're very, uh, you know, very careful, methodical about what kinds of relationships and partnerships we forge with different professionals in different jurisdictions, you know, so our, our architectural partners really do help us out a lot. Now, education is also a very big part of our sales process, you know, just like we're doing now, Zoom was just, a, you know, a godsend. For folks like mm -hmm. us, where we're we're based in one area, but we're trying to build a, a project in Baltimore, for instance, well, we can have an info session with you know the Baltimore Zoning Board, and they can ask us all the same questions that you're asking me now. We can provide visuals, we can give a presentation on how this works, and explain to them why not only is this allowing somebody to build, perhaps on a lot where otherwise they wouldn't be able to because it would be cost prohibitive, but Modular construction is actually, it's, it's great from a community standpoint, because you imagine living in a neighborhood next to a job site, you're living next to a job site for nine months, every day for nine months with equipment and tools and people driving in and out. Most people don't like that. You know, most people are not appreciative when their neighbor is building a brand new house. They got to deal with all that stuff. We are in and out in a day. 
after we build the foundation, we pour our footers, we can tell the, the zoning folks, we can tell the city folks, we're, we're in and out in a day. You know, your, your community, the members of your community are going to love us. You know, they'll show up with their cell phones, they'll, they'll videotape, they'll video record us, you know, using our cranes and everything. It's, everyone thinks it's super cool, but we're in and out. So people's lives are not upended. They're not being inconvenienced by living next to a job site. So for that reason, um, it, it actually goes over quite well. I, I bet you're going to get a lot of buy-in from like tenant associations and everything. That makes a lot of sense, especially since Absolutely. the product that is built. I mean, there's literally no way to tell that it's a quote unquote modular built, uh, you know, product. So, you know, I, I guess you're, you're getting the, the t- um, you might get the uh, tenant, uh, the uh, tenant associations or the, uh, you know, the community boards on, you know, like to accept it. And maybe the building inspectors are kind of buying into it now, especially since you know, it seems, it seems to be, uh, you know, I guess it's, it's getting more and more accepted. It seems like, um, but what about like some of these unions and stuff? And I know that this is where like, especially when you're talking like in uh, like big cities that I know that they're, they're saying modular construction really makes a lot of sense if there's the alternative to having union work. Uh, at what point do you think the unions are now going to say, whoa, whoa, we have to be, we have to be involved in building those modulars if they're coming into our city because you're taking away union jobs? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, unions don't really like us very, very much. <laughs> <It does not. laughs> I'll be honest. Uh, we're, we're not the fa- their favorite people. Um, yeah, um, the unions were not the most popular people with the unions for that reason, because the construction industry is incredibly political. Um, Indeed. If, if, yeah, most maybe people don't really pay attention to that or maybe they're unaware, but it is incredibly political and it's unfortunate because, because that comes at the expense of private residences. It comes at the expense of private individuals who perhaps have to pay inflated wages to build a house just because the union wants their cut. So Absolutely. there is, there is um, a little bit of a hurdle that we have to kind of manage when we're, when we're start trying to get into certain jurisdictions like New York. New York is, I would say, probably the worst when it comes to this type of type of thing, but it is doable. It's it's difficult, but not impossible. Um, and uh, one nice thing about about uh, modular is that we're not um, we're not uh, um, sort of exposed or uh, held to prevailing wages because we're building the house in Pennsylvania, which is not a prevailing wage state, hauling things into New York. So once we're able to kind of get around that red tape, there's another area in which you save money. So these are really making a lot of sense in those jurisdictions today, a union area or an area that requires the prevailing wage. But for this to get this mass adoption, you guys are going to have to be the same price or cheaper than on-site construction in essentially the cheapest jurisdictions in the country. Is that, Essentially, that's, that's like the, uh, the Mason-Dixon line. You got you to get there. Once you cross it, I don't think you can go back. I mean, it, that's it. I mean, you're now cheaper in every capacity. And then the industry kind of just shifts 100% towards, towards this, except for maybe in the most specialized of cases. Is that an accurate assessment? That's, that, that's an incredibly accurate assessment. You know, when you think, if you, if you follow sort of the, the titans of our industry, which are like, you know, the, the Whiting Turner, Clark Construction, Hensel Phelps, Sukit, you know, those types of Skanska. In Chicago, I think. Um, 
they are really like the big boys who kind of drive commercial construction. They are also tiptoeing around modular construction. They're, you know, which tells you that they are running into all the same issues, all the same headaches that even the, you know, the newest flipper, the newest uh, renovator runs into trying to find quality labor, trying to find quality subs to do the work. When they begin to pivot, you know, the folks who have really no reason to make changes to their, their business model because they control the industry, when you see them begin to pivot in certain areas like this, that tells you that, that we're getting serious. Like modular is really going to become sort of the future of this, this industry because we are cheaper. Um, really, we're at a point now, there's, there's very little reason, I'll be honest, very little reason to not attempt a modular job. Now, we are not an end-all be-all. We're not a cure-all. So there are certain situations, as you alluded to, there are certain situations where we, we, we just can't do it. You know, we can't do a modular project. For instance, crane egress, ingress egress is an issue. You know, if we can't get our cranes there, um, then that makes it problem. pretty difficult. Yeah, it's yeah. a problem. Yeah, you know, we can't get our cranes in there. There's a problem. Um, if there are overhead power lines that we, you know, cause us to not allow us to get our crane there, and then the city doesn't let us take the power lines down, that's a problem. You know, so there are there are instances where you know we just have to tell tell a prospective client like, hey, we're, we're sorry, we can't we can't do it. Um, but that is at this point that's that's not very uh, common. That's a that's a relatively rare occurrence. Um, we started out. I, I didn't I didn't think I touched on this when, when we started a conversation, but when we started out, we were real estate investors, house flippers, just like anybody else. Like we you know, we got into real estate just the way most people do, and we were just beat down. We were beat down and demoralized trying to flip houses dealing with contractors who wouldn't call you back, wouldn't show up when they said they would, maybe their, the quality of the work was lacking because, you know, there are a lot of contractors out there and, and most, most contractors were being honest. Contractors are very good at building things, but not a lot of contractors. I would, I would consider good business people. And all of those things sort of just lead to lead to problems. And we were just beat down and we had to we had to find a way to we had to think radically. We had to find a way to kind of change our own business model so that we could continue to be profitable and continue to down the course of, of being successful real estate investors, which is which was our dreams, what we wanted to do. And and modular, because of our ability to centralize that work, control QAQC, solved a lot of our problems. And we are at a point now where I don't think we'll go back. Um, if we can build a project with modular we will a hundred percent of the time. Makes sense. Especially, you know, if you're controlling it in-house and it all, you know, kind of alleviates those headaches. I, I, I have to agree that on the smaller side, um, especially for the guys who are just getting in or, uh, you know, the, the contractors who are focused on kind of that one-off job are typically not uh, bringing a um, industry leading level of professionalism uh, or business acumen, uh, or, or maybe even just the paperwork and insurance sophistications that, uh, some of these larger contractors bring. And, and without that, it, it really actually ends up costing a lot more money and time uh, because you're just kind of spending so much uh, oversight, I guess, so much money on oversight to just make sure that the project's not getting off the rails, that it, you either go big or potentially you look at going modular. 
And, you know, I think, uh, I think there's some benefits to both. So it, going forward, technology continues to change. And I think technology really hasn't maybe completely changed the way that we build them. I mean, you know, certainly we use different trucks and different, uh, you know, construction equipment and everything, but modular seems to me like it has a unique ability to add robotics to the industry, like never before, because it's yeah. such a repeat uh, type of exercise where if you tried, everybody was like, Oh, the robots are going to go lay the bricks on site. And I'm like, I don't think so because it's, it's different on every site and maybe yeah. they will one day, but it, that seems like a harder obstacle to cover or a farther road to go than in factory, you're cutting this piece of wood over and over and over and over and over again without somebody being there. Is that kind of what the industry has seen? You know, what should we expect on these, uh, you know, assembly lines as far as as far as homes are concerned? You know, when you look at an assembly line for a car, I mean, they're, the people are there working on the robots, not working on the car. Is that going to be kind of where we're headed or are we still 10, 15 years away, 20 years away or further? Uh, yes and no. Um, we're, we're a ways off from having sort of machines and, and homes completely automated. Um, to your point, just because of the level of customization that may occur from house to house. Now, if you take the customization out, that's a different story. You know, if you, if you treat houses the way you treat cars, where you're just one is the same as the, as the next, that's a different story. Um, and there are, there are uh, companies out there who are operating like that. Again, they're not custom builders. They just build, this is what we, this is what we build. This is our model. And, you know, if you like it, great. If, if not, you know, buy somewhere else, that's not who we want to be. Now, again, regardless, you might have an increased level of automation, but again, being fully automated, I think is a ways off. Um, we are automated now. We can be automated now. And especially with regards to uh, just the framing, you know, when you frame out a, a module, when you frame out a portion of a house, it starts out as a rectangular cube, effectively, mm -hmm. you know, it, it starts out just as a, as a 3D rectangle. Um, so that allows us to effectively, at the beginning of a, of a, of a line, you know, have automation, have robots assemble the outer framing, assemble the structural portions of the module, and then the folks just come on to do the wiring, the, pl the plumbing, all that stuff. So uh, that is something that we're we're trying to improve upon. That is that is something we want to do, especially in, in the commercial space where we're just building, you know, rectangular cubes of structural steel framing, and that allows us to do something quite interesting. So. That would effectively, as, as we're anticipating, as we're calculating, allow us to dramatically reduce our production times overall on a project because we can have robots work around the clock, welding and putting together structural frames overnight during long hours. And then when workers come in in the morning, they're just focusing on doing, you know, the flooring and the wiring and the plumbing and everything. So that is something that we're that we're really um, excited about. Yeah, I'm really fascinated to see how the technology is brought into the industry, especially for some of those jobs that are more dangerous or um, just really heavy and hard on the body. And I, it, there, there seems to be a, a big area of opportunity there. And, you know, definitely I'll be curious to see if I can follow up with you in a few years to see how that's how that's changed. Uh, 
you know, I think one of the other things that people forget about, and maybe the, the like we talked about in the beginning, the, the stigma is that these things are not as good a quality. In my understanding, that's not that's not the case at all. Because on a job site, let's say you're trying to get a really tight air envelope, and you're trying to have, um, you know, at, like an under a a one air exchange an hour, and basically that's that's some that's almost passive house level. And let's say you're trying to go to that that standard but you might be able to test the house but then two weeks later your hvac guy runs a massive hole through the outside of the the building envelope and who knows how he patches that back up and, and you know and all of a sudden you have these just these small little things that can add up to maybe not good waterproofing not good airproofing um maybe there's just not a bunch of level you know the level in the floor your materials are kept uh, out of the elements can you talk about like some of those other examples that maybe I'm not thinking of here that maybe are really why this is a better way for us to build? You know, what else does the industry offer that maybe isn't just you know kind of surface level stuff like I mentioned? Yeah, I mean, at this point, you are losing nothing when you build a well, modular. That's a strong. <laughs> that's a yeah. strong you're not. Um, you're not. You really aren't. You're, you're losing absolutely nothing. Um, the homes are built just as strong. I would argue in some cases, perhaps stronger um, than homes built on site. First of all, because we're building in a, in a controlled environment, level means level and square means square. There's no there's no cheating. There's no like hiding, hiding unlevel flooring under the carpet, mm-hmm. you know, or, or, or what have you. A lot, a lot of builders do that, you know. Um, we can't do that because we have to build everything exact. So square means square, level means level. Uh, in our You're not world. getting a lot of callbacks for like squeaky floors, let's say. No, we don't get a lot of callbacks for that. Um, because if, if that were, to, if that were to happen, it would never make it off the line. You know, um, you're catching we, it, we, your, your quality control is catching it ahead. Yeah, we never make it off the line. We have a very rigorous multi-point inspection. Um, we go through, we have a team that walks through the modules, make sure everything was done the way it was ordered, make sure everything works properly. So it would never make it off the line if that were the case. Um, another thing too is we have the ability, I mean, we build wind-resistant housing. We have the ability to, to build for coastal uh, neighborhoods and coastal events. So we, we really are at a point now at, at this industry where it's, I think it's sort of just general apprehension and, and ger- general fear of change that mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, gets most people to, to perhaps, uh, you know, not go the direction of modular. But again, that's what we try to do during our, during our sales process, because so much of that is, is rooted in education. Makes sense. Now, another piece that I've and I've, I've talked about this with a couple of bankers and I think some are starting to get, get on board with it. But uh, one of the major, I guess, issues with the financing side of, of modular is the, the fact that you guys need, or in, I think a lot of companies need, and I don't know if this is the case with you guys, or maybe you have a way to solve it. You need such a large deposit. It's not, hey, give us 10 grand or 10% of, uh, of the money. It's like, hey, I need like 50 or 60% of the money. Uh, to, because I'm going to build your entire home really quick. Uh, but then the bank is feeling the exposure there because they essentially don't have something that's insured. That, you know, it's not like actually not there on site. So are you guys going to have to provide the financing until it gets on site? Or what's the way that the banks are getting comfortable with this? And then on your side, are you comfortable 
like providing all of that level of finance. And then all of a sudden somebody might back out of a project and like, how do you, you know, question. how do you just balance all of the financial, you know, cause we're not talking small money here when you, when you're talking about doing this at its scale, yeah. you know, how do you balance the risk on either side so that everybody's happy? The, yeah. I mean, that, that is, uh, one of the the bigger issues in in the industry and, and any modular builder has to run into. I am happy to say, however, um, to answer your question, we're at a point now where mo- more often than not the lender is going to be okay with it. You know, you know, we're we're at a point now we we we're, we've speaking we, we've we've uh, spoke to enough um, lenders. Uh, we've, we've educated them, you know, perhaps they've seen other modular jobs from other builders. So maybe they have a little bit of experience. We've, we've discussed this now to the point where, where they're getting, they're getting more and more comfortable. We don't, I mean, this is, this is us. I can't speak for everybody, but, you know, typically for us, a deposit is around 15%. So it's not, yeah, it's actually not that much higher than what you would give any other home builder. Um, to get started, to go out and buy your materials and everything. So we we go off of 15%. Uh, some of our lenders actually really like working with us because what we do is we effectively um, work using an escrow account that holds the lender's money. And then we operate off of draws. So draws in addition to the 15%. In addition to the 15%. So yeah, after yeah. we get the 15%, which basically just solidifies your place in the queue, in the production yeah. queue, and then allows us to go out and buy the buy the fixtures and buy the materials and the finishes that you want. We then take, we then work with the, the lender. They put the loan amount in an escrow account effectively that we manage together with them. We operate off of draws. So we have to show your lender what we're doing. We have to show them where we are in the process. And we do this by documenting everything. You know, we take video, we take a photo. Um, we have inspectors come out who represent the lenders. We have inspectors come out to the facility to see the project, to see what we're doing, to show up to the site. So we work very closely with lenders to make sure they're comfortable. Um, well, I think a lot of people are familiar with the draw site. You know, like you put yeah. the money into an escrow account. You Every 30 days, you email the bank, say, Hey, you know, here's our payment requisition. They do an inspection. I think a lot of people, you know, have some sort of uh, understanding of that in the commercial real estate world. But you guys are going so fast. I mean, you must have the bank inspector there every week. Like, how do how do you draw? Like, if you're building a house in what 27 days, then you know, is it are they just coming halfway through and then at the end or not? You know, like what what does that look like? So there, there's there's uh, usually there's an inspection done after we pour the footers and, okay. and pour foundation because the, the footers have to be signed off and inspected by the city inspector anyway. And I would assume that you probably want to know for a fact that that's done and signed off before you guys start the house or do you guys assuming assuming we're not the ones managing it. Okay. You know, if we're the GC, then obviously we're going to know if it's finished. But yes, if if we're not responsible for that, we're going to want to see that that's been done, or at least will be done by the time the house is finished on the line, on the production line. But yeah, I mean, usually there's a draw done around the time the footers are poured, the foundation is poured. Uh, then there's another draw done as the modules are getting um, built within the facility um, to keep things going. But normally, you know, we have documented proof that modules are being completed. They're being marked off. So the lender knows that there are values there actually being built up. Um, and, and your insurance and in your insurance is covering them as well. 
kind of along yes. the way there. Okay. Yep. Yep. We have, yep. We're, we're very, we're, we're very astute when it comes to insurance. Um, that's one of my backgrounds actually. So we're mm-hmm. very, very good about that, but um, yeah, there's a, there's a draw done at that point, And then typically a draw done toward the end of the project. So we don't have inspectors come out very often. Now the drawback to us, and I think it's just the way the industry is right now is that we actually, the builder actually uh, holds a fair amount of risk, a fair amount of liability toward the back end of the project because we're we're not getting paid after that first initial deposit and then the subsequent draw after the foundation work we go quite some time before we before we receive a sizable payment from the lender so we're actually on the hook like we actually have a fair amount of skin in the game um and yeah sometimes customers walk off sometimes they walk away maybe something happens um in their lives or maybe funding somehow fell through what have you um, and, and they walk off. That does happen. Um, really no way to manage that uh, at this point. That wouldn't be, I, I believe, too disruptive to you know, how we do business with other people. But when it does happen, effectively, they, they bought us a house, you know, really is, is what it is. You know, um, they, uh, whatever money was put into that project, we just pay to finish it. We we basically sell it to ourselves, and then we just put it up as a rental somewhere. Understood. Well, that that, that works, and you know, I think, you know, I, I guess some of these groups that I've seen across the country, it looks like they they have you know immense capital needs in the beginning as they grow their factory, and and you know, mm-hmm. extremely capital intense, and then you have this financing issue stacked on top of it. It's just like it's actually, there, I mean, just like you said, there's a lot of skin in the game and a ton of risk. And I, you know, I, I salute you for, for taking the plunge and, and trying to make it better. Um, you know, I think, I think a lot of people are, are, are excited about this coming forward. I think, you know, especially on the green side of things, you know, I, it, just being a good stewards of what we do. I, I think the, the fact that you're able to cut down on how much waste is also a part of the, uh, the, the build, uh, you know, by, I don't know what margin, but probably a pretty significant margin. Anybody who's been in construction knows just how many dumpsters roll off those sites every day yeah. or every week. And I'm sure that's significantly less in your, in your space. Uh, but what about, I guess, what about the different industries and which one is going to be the winner that, you know, is it going to be the hotel industry that's going to see this as a major win? Is this going to be the low rise multifamily uh, or is this going to be like single family? Which of those three, or maybe there's another one that is, which of those should we pay attention to for the, for the largest uh, push here in the next few years on, on, on the cutting edge technology? Well, I think um, modular construction lends itself very well to hotels, uh, student housing, like dormitories, so university buildings, and of course, affordable housing. So if you look at companies like Boxable, which I, I don't consider a modular builder. Uh, they don't really build the same type of product, but their whole business was built um, on the backs of government contracts to build you know, barracks and affordable housing, et cetera. So obviously when you're building those types of buildings, um, customization is not really that important. It's okay if they all look the same. You know, Affordable housing projects can all look the same. 
military barracks, of course, can look all look the same. Dormitories typically all look the same. So modular construction lends itself very well for those types of things. That's no different for us. Um, you know, obviously, I we have a strong cost advantage advantage in those areas too. I also believe that uh, single family homes are still uh, yeah, going no to doubt the single family home yeah. is it's getting disrupted. I mean, it's just too expensive uh, for most people. I think this is going to be the way. I, we, I don't know. We are still other. we are still millions of units undersupplied, mm -hmm. um, and with with the cost of labor continuously going up and up and up. Of course, inflation, etc., is not helping that either. But really, it's just a lack of people wanting to go into the trades supply and demand that's driving up those co that cost of labor. Um, people need to live somewhere. So uh, if they can't afford what's on the MLS, naturally they're going to begin to look at building homes for themselves. And, and I do think that's, that's going to be a big part of, of at least the next three or five years where, where we're going to be um, with modular. So you brought up one of the last two points and, you know, that, that I was thinking about here. And one of them is inflation. Everybody's seen, the, the increases that we've all experienced, especially in the construction industry over the last few years. Uh, what, like, what exposure does somebody working with you have versus maybe a site contractor? It, it seems like because you're able to build so fast, it would be less exposure. Uh, but what did you do? Are you guys giving no escalation contracts or like what kind of like guarantees are you giving your customers? That, that's a great question. So uh, we do have some wording built into our contracts that state, you know, if there's a unforeseen supply chain issue, like, you know, another cargo container ship gets stuck in a canal, like you know, something, something ridiculous like uh -huh. that. And things that are just, you can't, you just can't foresee that kind of stuff happens. We have to have the ability to readjust our pricing within a certain degree, you know, within a certain, uh, within certain parameters. However, that doesn't really come up quite so often with us because to your point, we build so quickly, you know, we're not having to plan a year in advance. I mean, really, if you, when you hire a, a private home builder, to build you a build you a house or even do a flip nowadays it's really closer to a year com commitment it, you know um it, yeah yeah the it, it takes a year to build a house on site really at this point um we don't have to plan that far in advance to when it comes to purchasing our materials because once we get started we're we the house is built in only a few weeks so while we do have things in place to protect ourselves I'm happy to say that we don't have to really lean upon that very often just because it just for us, it just doesn't really come up. That's nice. <laughs> that's, that's really nice considering yeah. uh, what's going on. Now, I guess that ties into the last thing here and that's how you get started because, you know, I think maybe apart in the apartment world, it's a little slower. You're probably doing, you know, large entitlements. Uh, you might be doing major zoning uh, requirements and, uh, you know, there might be even doing months of site work before you're even ready to, uh, to bring something on, on site, but maybe in the, the single family world, can you talk about how people get started? Like when do they approach you? When is the best time to like think modular? Is it uh, you know, kind of two weeks before you hit the ground or, or is it like a year before you're even ready to buy? Uh, I would say, you know, reach out to us or a modular builder. Um, 
hopefully us, uh, reach out to us at the same time when you're talking to other home builders. You know, we're an alternative to on-site home construction. So they are our, you know, our on-site counterparts or our primary competitors um, in this space. You know, okay, I want to buy, let's say I'm going to build a house. I want to come to you. Do I come with my architect? Do I pick one of the designs off your website? Like you can, what, what, um, is, what does that look like? So our pre, our pre-designed homes are, as you can imagine, a pretty good seller when it comes to real estate investors, you know, people who just want to put up something fast. They don't really particularly care what finishes there are because they don't have like an emotional tie to it. They just want to put tenants in there, you know, yep. ASAP. Yeah. So Pete, so those types of folks tend to grasp towards the uh, sort of the pre-designed home uh, homes more often than the, than the private home builders, but uh, you can come to us with an architect. Uh, you can come to us without one and just with some ideas, you know, download some photos off of the internet of, of a house that you like, or, or, you know, we've had people come to us with not, very well drawn <laughs> sort of, you know, their schematics on a notepad, you know, and they're not very autistic or, or not very artistic. So, I mean, they, they, they come, uh, they, they come to us with a notepad of, of, you know, of a drawing and we kind of have to decipher, okay, what, what is it you're trying, what is it you're trying to do? And um, no, that, that kind of stuff we happens all the time, but I would say, if you're interested, come to us at any point. Um Again, we only make up about four and a half percent of the overall construction industry, uh, us being, you know, modular builders. So the vast majority of the folks that we interact with have never done a modular project before. They don't really know much about modular construction. So again, education and just sort of getting them used to the idea is naturally going to be part of it. So I would say no time is too early. You know, if it's to have a conversation, they don't need an architect then is what they it don't need. Like. They do not need an architect. We have our own in-house design team. Okay. So we can, we can help you design a house. Now, the, most likely, especially if you're building in more of like a suburban or urban market, the local municipality is still going to want a local architect to stamp your drawings before you get going. So at some so point- you might be able to provide a lot to that architect. Maybe that fee yes. is still a little lower, but they're still taking- for that stamp, they're still going to take their fee and it's going to be substantial. Um, it will so be cheaper. It will be cheaper. It should than, be cheaper. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it will be cheaper than having the architect draw your entire house. Okay. So I come to you, you give me um, your in-house design team and you guys, I guess, spit out a quote on the other side saying this is going to be how much the house is going to be. I guess that's where the exposure is is between that quote and whenever we say go. And I suppose it, that's on the person who's you know, buying the house. It's up to them whether they say go now or six months from now where it, it likely won't be the same cost. Our design fees are typically about $2,000. Okay. And the nice thing is, I mean, they're yours to keep. Even if no, you I, don't- I, I guess not the design fee. I mean, the, the cost of the house. You guys at the other side of this are going to say the house is worth $100,000 uh, today. But- I'm assuming you're not going to hold that price forever. And six months from now, if it's 105, it's 105. That if if we have to. Now, I mean, there we have some customers who we quoted six months ago, and it's still the same price. Wow. You know, in this market, um, that's pretty substantial. I mean, that yeah. is 
So really it's, it's up to no other way to put it. It's really up to our discretion. And if we believe we have to increase price, obviously we, I don't want to increase the price in anybody because I don't want to scare anybody off. Obviously I want people to build with me. So it it really comes down to- I don't think it's like a, it's not a cash grab situation. I think it's simply- the reality of things costing more. I mean, do you have like a really robust back of house, um, you know, like purchasing team? I, I'm, I'm assuming you're that's 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 a big that's a big part of it. Yeah, sorry, I didn't understand your question. So that that's a big that's a big part of it is that we operate at such a scale that we have these relationships, these partnerships with, with suppliers that we just we can we can purchase at perhaps more agreeable pricing than than the average home builder. So yeah, would, and that, that allows us, that allows us more stability in our pricing. I think you could say. Makes sense. Well, Josh, is there anything else that we missed? We covered a whole lot today on the modular industry. Uh, no, that, I mean, I could talk about this uh, for, for days on end. Um, so I mean, I, I, I like it a lot. We, we love what we do. Um, we love what we do. This really is, I think the, the future of building where the industry is going. And, uh, we, we love, we love sharing our story and, and sort of, um, educating people, um, in this process, getting them more, um, more comfortable with the idea of building this way. So all I would ask, I mean, if anybody uh, ever has questions or if we can help in any way, please, you know, don't hesitate to reach out to us. All right. So those investors, those buyers, um, anybody interested in talking with you guys, where can they reach out and, and get in touch with you? You know, you can visit us at uh, www.ivmodular.com. Uh, please also email us at info dot, or sorry, info at ironvalleyci.com, info at ironvalleyci, uh, just with, you know, general questions, or if you have an idea for a project, or maybe you have a, a piece of land under, under contract, you want us to look at it to see if modular would work. We'd be happy to do that. That kind of stuff is free. It takes us just a couple minutes. We we can look at your your site on Google Earth, um, see if there's anything that jumps out at us that will be problematic. If it works, if it doesn't work out, we'll let you know. Otherwise, let's uh, let's find a way to do it. Let's rock and roll. And you're currently working in which geographic regions? Uh, all up and down the East Coast. Uh, we are based in Pennsylvania, so the bulk of our business is in the Mid-Atlantic region, but we send homes all the way up to Maine. We send homes all the way down to, you know, Georgia, Florida. Um, we go as far west as, we've gone as far west as Tennessee, Illinois. Um, so really, we, we can... Um, we can go just about anywhere. What I tell most people is that you can expect to save about 20 to 25% on the overall project cost, about 50% on time, just because of how quickly we build it in the, in the project site. If you are within four hours, a four hour drive of our facility in central Pennsylvania, which in terms of the population is like half the country, you know, that's how densely populated the Northeast is. So if you're if you're part of that half of the U.S. population and you're within a four hour drive of central Pennsylvania, I'll tell you, we're going to be really tough to beat on on price and, and just overall our capabilities and everything. Once you get further out, you know, transportation becomes more of an issue. But even so, cost of construction being what it is, who knows? Mm-hmm. I think you're speaking a lot of people's language and uh, I, I wish you guys the best as you guys continue to grow. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you so much. It was really nice talking to you. Appreciate it. Likewise.